This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby Zneimer. Queen Elizabeth II and most of the world recently celebrated her 90th birthday. There are more official celebrations coming in June, though, and like the model Zoomer, she has no plans to slow down. The Queen graces the cover of Zoomer magazine in May. I sat down with Deputy Editor Kim Itzo to talk about all things royal. Also, he was Canada's first veterans ombudsman, a position created to help thousands of veterans, but Pat Stogren's tenure was anything but pleasant. He'll join us to talk about his new book, Rude Awakening, the government's secret war against Canada's veterans. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A new study in the online journal Heart proves once again why it's important to remain social as we age. The survey, done by researchers over in England, suggests loneliness and social isolation have been linked to a 30% increase in the risk of having a stroke or heart disease. But although loneliness is often viewed as a problem for older people, a recent study by the Mental Health Foundation found that 18 to 34-year-olds were more likely to feel lonely more often than Zoomers. The researchers looked at more than 180,000 adults in England and say that while other factors may come into play, the results suggest that addressing isolation and loneliness may help prevent heart disease. The city of Surrey, B.C. started a program to help distribute the wisdom of its Zoomers. It's called the Elder Bank, and the idea is to connect Zoomers with certain talents to those who could benefit from their experience. For instance, a grandfather with handiwork experience could help out the fire department in installing, say, smoke detectors. It's a three-year pilot project for the city and province to see whether a similar program could work elsewhere. There's another reason to be sure to get enough fruit in your system. A massive study involving half a million adults shows that eating fresh fruit lowers your risk of having a heart attack or stroke. Researchers from Oxford University and the Chinese Academy of Sciences looked at the habits of half a million Chinese residents over a seven-year span. 18% of those studied reported eating fresh fruit daily and had a third less chance of dying from a cardiovascular event. Doris Roberts, probably best known playing Raymond's mother Marie on the hit TV show Everybody Loves Raymond, has died. Roberts recently passed away in her sleep at the age of 90. The comedian won five Emmy Awards over a career that spanned more than six decades. In addition to her role on Everybody Loves Raymond, she also had an award-winning role on St. Elsewhere and played Mildred Krebs on the detective series Remington Steele. I'm Bob Komsik, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Retired Colonel Pat Stogren joined the ranks in Ottawa as an opportunity to give back to all those who served, but he says his experience was more traumatic than time spent in war zones. 
Stogren's written a book chronicling his experiences as Canada's first veterans ombudsman, Rude Awakening, the Government's Secret War Against Canada's Veterans. Retired Colonel Stogren now joins me. So, why did you write the book? That's probably a simple question, but a pretty uh, difficult one. Um, I wrote it for several reasons. The first thing was uh, um, I was... Uh, pretty messed up after my job as the ombudsman, angry at the world, and uh, became a bit of a recluse and thought that I should be documenting what I went through. And uh, it kind of became therapeutic for me, researching the history and uh, the background and such. And at the same time, um, a lot of things were kind of unraveling with the federal government, that being the residential schools in particular and our treatment of First Nations. And also Attawapiskat, the first round, hit us in the face. And uh, I saw such a similarity between what was happening elsewhere in government and what I witnessed firsthand up close and in the heart of it as the Veterans Ombudsman. So I felt I really had to tell Canadians that there's a lot more to their government that doesn't meet the eye and that they should be very much concerned about for their own quality of life. How did you view the position heading into it and then subsequently on the other side leaving it? Well, I was very excited about getting the job. I uh, was kind of at the end of my career in the military, uh, still good potential for promotion, but uh, I'd been kind of marginalized because I had different views about the Afghanistan war, and I saw the ombudsman's position as an opportunity to give back to the troops. So I went in very bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and was told by everybody from the minister on down that uh, I would be the squeaky wheel and they'd put the grease on it when I identified problems. A couple of years into it, I tried working with the system, but it became very clear to me that uh, I had been duped and that uh, they had no intention, not a single intention, of opening the veterans' portfolio. So uh, uh, I couldn't get away from it fast enough. And I'll, I'll tell you quite honestly, it's the most traumatic thing. I've spent two years of my adult life in war zones, uh, been shot at, shelled, knifed. As I say in my book, Rude Awakening, um, I was just shocked that this is what Canada is all about. How's your successor done, Guy Perron? Clearly, the reason why he survived is because he let a lot of the uh, initiatives slide within the office, and he was fixated on producing reports. And uh, there was, as you'll bear witness to, until we came around to the, the election, uh, there was very little progress being made in that portfolio. And meanwhile, we're having a rash of suicides. So uh, we, we're starting to see some promises coming out, which is, uh, but up until now, even with the last government, it's only been these empty promises, and they really haven't um, addressed the problem. What do you hope for to come out as a result of this book in terms of For the Vets? Well, You know, I'll tell you in all honesty, to me, it's no longer just about the vets. There's a lot of people in the veterans community that have taken up the uh, gauntlet, if you will, and have been fighting to keep the agenda alive. I'm uh, endeavoring now in my afterlife, in my retirement, if you will, to uh, alert Canadians. Uh, Take a look at the portfolios that affect your life. Now, our First Nations people, it goes without saying, but in my experience uh, across the country uh, visiting veterans in uh, homeless shelters and uh, witnessing the mental health uh, problems going on. And and let's face it, it's epidemic in the civilian community also. Yet we have government that is full of promises, and I see the same kind of sidestepping 
that I saw it, uh, within the veterans' portfolio. So, yes, in my retirement, I'm trying to make this a broader issue and, and force more of a transparency and accountability agenda that we just haven't seen in our government whatsoever. You touched on it early on as far as why you wrote the book. Uh, personally, how, how are you doing as a result of writing this uh, in terms of where your head's at right now? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I, I mentioned that one of the reasons for doing it was it was kind of therapeutic. What I found really therapeutic was trying to cut 400,000 words of anger down into 80,000 that was palatable to the, uh, to the average person. So that, that act of, of ridding myself of the anger and the rants uh, from my manuscript was hugely therapeutic. And uh, um, without getting into the politics of it, because it's, it's not just a political issue, it's a, an issue of government, which is my rude awakening. With the change of government, the change of regimes, if you will, that was kind of uh, really <laughs> bolstered my spirits, took me out of the depression and, and anger. And uh, I'm very hopeful that especially the way Canadians rallied around getting rid of the last government. It says to me that Canadians really do care and care about the broader agendas, not just veterans. That is the tip of the iceberg. So still a little early, the jury's out, but looks promising. The jury's definitely out, but uh, we should be sitting on the edge of our seats. There, the promises have been made, but none of the tough questions have been answered. The, uh, the platform from the, this government going into the election. They've promised uh, to follow through on six of their, uh, I think it was 15, but really the tough questions about the, the longer-term care and, and getting rid of some of the obstacles and, and a culture of obfuscation within the government, deny, defer, and deflect, uh, none of that has been addressed. So, you know, governments are famous for uh, talking about all the money they pour into the system, but as we witnessed firsthand in the last government, once the money goes into the hopper, there's no uh, uh, assuredness that that money is going to reach the Canadians who really need it. Um, in fact, the last government was secretly returning all the money back to the coffers to, uh, to amortize the deficit. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm definitely not hopeful at this point in time. We'd have to see a drastic change in the entire uh, culture that is our government, and that's why I'm hoping that Canadians through my book will have the same rude awakening I will and call a halt to it and say, we want some accountability. Pat Stogren, retired colonel, Canada's first veterans ombudsman, author of Rude Awakening. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you very much for your interest. I'm Bob Consigan for Libby's Nimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, Zoomer Magazine's Kim Itzo will join us to talk about the Queen's 90th birthday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Even though Queen Elizabeth has already turned 90, official celebrations will be held in June. Zoomer Magazine's commemorating her birthday by placing her on the cover of the May edition. Deputy Editor Kim Itzo joins me. Kim, the Queen's the longest reigning monarch. How's she done it? I say, you know, good genes, you know, keeping care of her health. I mean, because, you know, it's a job for life, so it's not like she has to be reelected. So in terms of how she did it, it's about, you know, her keeping a good health and keeping going that way. I don't health is one thing, but even if you're healthy, to keep up that type of calendar, 
is also quite amazing. Yeah, but you go back to stamina, I, I think, too, right? And she just has a very—I I obviously have not interviewed the queen, but um, she has a certain resolve and commitment and honor to her role as uh, Her Majesty the Queen, and she takes it very seriously. So I, she'd have to be very, very ill, which has rarely happened, that for her to cancel engagements. It's, I think, a point of pride, and it's her duty to do these events. Now, her milestone birthday has come and gone, but— Tell us about the public celebration coming in in June. Yes, yeah, uh, April 21st was her uh, 90th birthday, uh, but the official monarchy birthday is in June, and that was historically designed to provide like a beautiful sunny day for the subjects to come out and celebrate, and uh, likewise, you know, for her. So there's different celebrations. There's the Trooping of the Color Parade, um, the Horse Guards Parade, uh, which is uh, a wonderful thing uh, to see. And her royal family always goes for that as well. Um, there's a certain different celebrations are called a patron's lunch, um, where she will attend a, it's almost like a tea party, a patron's of over 600 organizations in the UK and around the Commonwealth since 1952. That's a big party. That's going to be about 10,000 guests. Now, tell us about the Queen's appearance on Zoomer magazine. And this is the third time. The first time was in April 2009, and that was photographed by Brian Adams, uh, who has done many of our covers. And uh, then the second time was actually a portrait painted by Charles Pachter that was actually painted in 1973. And then our current May issue, she is on our, our cover, photographed in, in Buckingham Palace. What's inside the issue? Give us a preview. Well, we have actually over a dozen pages of royal fun um, talking about, you know, just the history of her monarchy and her reign. You know, we have beautiful photographs in there of her on the coronation day, on her wedding day, but also a really great fun piece written by Shanana Gavani about the queen and the next generation. And I don't mean Charles. I mean, like, Prince William, uh, Harry, and, uh, you know, know, Catherine, and, of course, Prince George— We've looked inside Zoomer magazine Mm -hmm. as far as the Queen's concerned. Let's look inside that royal purse. Ah, the royal purse is such a mystery, isn't it? Um, Well, we we had a fun little bit of time there trying to say what's inside the Queen's purse. And we just know a few of the beauty products that she does use. Uh, Her nail enamel, which is by Essie, uh, is called Ballet Slipper. And it's a very beautiful sort of translucent looking pink. Her favorite fragrance is by Floris, um, and we think it's a, it's sort of a white rose kind of scent, um, perhaps a Kent brush or comb, Elizabeth Arden lipstick, perhaps, and um, you know, mineral powder, transparent, because you know, she's always got to, all those lights and everything. She's got to keep a nice mineral powder on her, on her complexion. And from, I have friends who have met the queen, and they have told me that her complexion is second to none, as are her bright, sparkling blue eyes. As the public awaits the birthday celebration in June, they'll have a chance to take a look at what's inside the the May issue of of Zoomer magazine with the, the Queen gracing the cover, as you pointed out, for the third time. They can also go online everythingzoomer.com and, and check out some more royal tidbits. Yeah, on everythingzoomer.com, we also have our what we're calling our official royal hub. And that's talking about all things royal and the queen. And we took, again, a fun approach like with stories like Live Like a Queen, The Royal Secrets to Longevity. Uh, we've got you know some great recap coverage of different things we've done with the queen since we've been online. We even have royal recipes so you can not only live like a queen, you can eat like a queen as well. Deputy Editor of Zoomer Magazine, Kim Itso, everythingzoomer.com, everything royal, right here on Zoomer Radio. 
I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby's Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. The music world's still in shock from the sudden death of Prince. Coming up, we'll hear one of the pop music icon's biggest hits. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer Worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook tips for those of you jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Canada's Cirque du Soleil musical is in previews at the Lyric Theatre. Paramore is described as Cirque's boldest, most heart-soaring spectacle ever. This year at Jazz Fest in New Orleans, one of America's greatest songwriters and idiosyncratic performers is on display for his drawings and paintings. A selection of art by Bob Dylan is now on display at the Great Hall of the New Orleans Museum of Art until the end of July. In Switzerland, a museum dedicated to the life and work of Charlie Chaplin has opened in his former home on Lake Geneva. Chaplin's son Michael says his father's subjects of poverty, hunger, and oppression still ring true today. The museum is filled with Chaplin memorabilia from both his silent and talky films. And in Madrid this weekend, it is the 400th anniversary of the death of Don Quixote author Miguel Cervantes, with more than 300 exhibitions, plays, and conferences taking place to mark the occasion. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Music lovers still having trouble believing Zoomer artist Prince is gone at the age of 57. He broke through in the late 70s with Wanna Be Your Lover, followed by Purple Rain, When Doves Cry, Let's Go Crazy, Little Red Corvette, and 1999 with one of the most widely quoted lines of pop culture, Tonight I'm Gonna Party Like It's 1999. Prince was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in 2004. The dedication reads... He rewrote the rulebook, forging a synthesis of black funk and white rock that served as a blueprint for cutting-edge music in the 80s. Right now, we'll travel back to 1984 to hear the title track from the album, Purple Rain. That was Purple Rain, in memory of Prince. That's it for this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Komsik. I've been in for Libby Snymer, and we'll be again next week. Be sure to tune in to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.